0: This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Well, let's open up in prayer and get straight into the Word. I hope you've got your Bibles with you this evening. I'm going to be giving you quite a bit of Scripture, and I know it's going to bless you, so let's do that. Father, we come before you this evening in the wonderful name of Jesus. Thank you for this time we could spend together in your Word. Thank you that your Word transforms and changes us. Lord, it's so wonderful to know that we don't need to work your word. Your word will work us. And so tonight as we submit ourselves, Lord God, humbly to your word, thank you that it transforms, changes us, brings us out of ignorance for your glory. And all those who agreed said, amen. Praise the Lord Jesus. Come on, let's give God a hand. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. And, um, and I'm grateful to Apostle Thea and Dr. Bear for this opportunity to wrap up this wonderful series that we've been doing on Foundations um, myself, Pastor Johnny, Pastor Greg, Pastor Jenny, and Paul have dedicated several Sunday evenings of the last couple of months to building faith. And I think the overriding, the overriding thought throughout this series has been simply this: If your faith does not move your mouth, it'll never move your mountain. I think predominantly that's, that's the message that has come across very strongly in the Word of God. We found out what is faith. We found out how to use it. We found out how to let our faith loose. Pastor Jenny and Pastor Johnny spoke, upon that, spoke on that subject. So the question I've got to ask you this evening is this. Over the last few months that we've been teaching the series, has what you've been saying changed? Has the way you speak changed? And you can evaluate yourself. It's a rhetorical question, so I don't want to raise your hands. But the truth is this, folks, that if your faith has not begun to move your mouth, it will never move your mountain. It starts right over here. We've learned in this series that to every single person has been apportioned a measure of faith. Every single person in this room tonight and those of you watching online has been given a portion of faith by God. And you can find that in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. The smallest amount of faith that can be given to any person by God is explained in Matthew chapter 17 verse 20 and it says it's a mustard seed. But Jesus goes on to say that with this mustard seed you can say to this mountain be removed and cast into the sea and it will obey you. So even with the smallest amount of faith that God can give us, we can do the impossible nothing shall be impossible. So the good news is tonight, as I start off this teaching, that you are in a position to see God move and change your circumstance, regardless. You've got faith, even if it's small, nothing will be impossible. I could just wrap up there, we could go home, praise Lord. but I won't. So tonight I'm gonna to do something a little bit different. Several years ago when my dad passed away, I inherited his BMW. Nice vehicle, looked perfect on the outside, and I had it for about a couple of months, and I was travelling home after lecturing one night late. And all of a sudden, I remember approaching the Edenvale turnoff, and this thing just began to shudder, shake, and that's it. It died, literally died, pulled over on the side of the road. I called a friend of mine back then, Lionel Hunter, and I said, Help me, you got a tow truck. We towed it to my house, and then the next day, they took it to the BMW dealership. Transpires, they plugged in the diagnostic machine, and I'd cooked the engine properly. I mean, cooked it. So it was a 60,000 rand repair. Anyway, so the technician who was analyzing my car and diagnosing my car said, This could have easily been avoided. I said, How could I have avoided this? I had no idea it was coming. He said, No, the vehicle has not had a diagnosis for the last two and a half years. And if you had brought it to us earlier and plugged it into the diagnostic machine, I would have told you that your oil pump has already started packing up, could have replaced it, and you would have saved yourself 61,500 Rand. You can tell it was a lot of money. I remember exactly how much it was. It was a very expensive mistake. What we're going to be doing tonight is we're gonna act like our faith is my BMW, and we're gonna plug it into a diagnostic machine, which is the Word of God, and we're gonna check exactly where our faith is. Because you see, the Bible says that on a regular basis, we need to diagnose ourselves. Because if we don't diagnose ourselves, you're gonna be just like me, you're gonna be driving along, merrily along your way, and all of a sudden, you're gonna come to a grinding halt, you're not gonna get home, you're not gonna reach your destination, why? Because you didn't check your faith. Can someone bump your neighbor and say, let's check our faith? Now, this principle of analyzing and judging our own faith is found in the Bible in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 13 and verse five. And I'm gonna read the message translation because I really love the way it brings it across. Listen to what the word of God says. Test yourselves. Look at that. Test yourselves. My BMW wouldn't go in and check itself. I'd have to take it in. Test yourselves to make sure, before I continue... Check how many times in the scripture it says test. See if you can identify. Test yourself to make sure you are solid in faith. Isn't it amazing to know you can check yourself and be able to assess exactly where your faith is at. You don't need to be surprised when something happens in your life and be concerned that, do I have the faith to carry me through this thing? Whatever comes your way never has to catch you off guard. Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. I just assumed my BMW had been serviced and everything was gonna be fine. You know, we become complacent like that sometimes. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You get a good job, your bills are being paid. Everything just seems like, you wonder, could heaven get any better than this? How many of you have ever had a season like that in your life? And when we have those seasons, what happens? We become complacent. We become lazy. And this is what the scripture is warning us about. He says, yeah, don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand experience, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Can someone say evidence? Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. I hope the test won't show that you have failed. If I'd plugged my BMW into that diagnostic machine earlier, it would have saved me a lot of cost. It would have saved me a lot of heartache. In actual fact, the car was so badly damaged, repaired it, and then I got rid of it. That's not what's gonna happen to your faith tonight, by the way. (laughs) That's not what's gonna happen to your faith. So tonight, I wanna take a look at the different levels of faith. The Bible speaks about eight different levels of faith. And as I go through these levels, I want you to do, remember you're plugging yourself into this diagnosis. Let's check out where you are. Now, four of these levels speak about faith in a positive context, which means they are productive faith. The other four is when faith is non-productive. And believe it or not, the father of faith, Abraham himself, lived with non-productive faith for 24 years. It's possible to have faith that is credited credited to you as righteousness, but yet achieves nothing else for you. That should concern us if Abraham was there. So we're gonna check it out tonight. We're gonna make sure. Now, the first level of faith I wanna speak about is quite intentional. And this is a no level of strength of faith, okay? Four, the four levels of faith that work for you in the positive, I'm gonna speak about. And then the four levels of faith that cannot produce for you, I'm gonna speak about. But beyond that, there's no order, the first one I wanna speak about is exceedingly growing faith. And this is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. Very, very important. Paul says, he wrote to the church and he said, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. Imagine getting that compliment from the apostle Paul. Your faith grows exceedingly. Now you have got to wonder, But how? What was it about this church in Thessalonica that caused these people's faith to grow exceedingly? How many of you want exceedingly growing faith? Can I see your hands? Okay, exceedingly growing faith is not just growing faith. Paul didn't say your faith grows. We know faith grows. He says your faith is exceeding. So when I I put plants in my, um, when I plant new plants at my home every springtime, um, I learned a trick, um, and it was actually Pastor Winston that taught me. He's a botanist. He's got green fingers. So he said to me, Pastor Andre, if ever you're planting new plants or trees, he says, get yourself bone meal. How many of you heard of bone meal? Okay. Bone meal, he says, and pack it around the roots, water it, and that tree's sorted. It's, instead of it being established and growing, it grows exceedingly. So obviously, Paul checked out something in Thessalonica like bone meal. And he says, these guys have got bone meal around their faith. Something is pushing their faith to cause it to grow exceedingly. What is it? Look at what he says. Because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. The Bible says that faith worketh by love. Faith works by love. Like a car drives with fuel, a car without fuel is not going anywhere. Faith without love is also not going anywhere. But if you want exceedingly growing faith, you have to check your love walk. That's what he's talking about. He says, I've noticed something in this congregation. You guys, not only is your faith exceedingly growing, but your love abounds towards one another. You see, faith is stifled and prevent it from growing the moment we choose to step out of the love walk. Remember, very important, faith worketh by love. The only faith that God will ever credit you with is faith that works by love. Now, can you achieve stuff with with faith and no love? Of course you can. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, to the Corinthian church, he says, if you have faith that moves mountains, but you have not love, you are nothing, which means you can have mountain-moving faith, but it will mean nothing in the eyes of God unless it is encapsulated with your love walk for Jesus and your love walk for one another. And you see what Paul is saying over here, if we begin to walk in love with one another, we will start exercising our faith unselfishly. Faith will not only be to get what we can get out of God, but rather to give to people what God can get through us. That brings me to my next level of faith. And this is also intentional because if you wanna see and learn more about these levels of faith, it's important you understand the context in which these levels of faith are mentioned. Check out the second one. So that's exceedingly exceedingly growing faith and it has to be encapsulated in love. Look at this, perfect or complete faith. Perfect or complete faith, depending on the translation that you read. Now, it's interesting that the Lord brings up, and James actually brings up this issue of perfected faith in the life of Abraham. But it wasn't because Abraham was trusting God for something. It's because God was expecting to get through Abraham something. It had to do with sacrifice. It had to do with giving. And in my experience, folks, it takes more faith sometimes to consecrate ourselves than to believe God for a new car, new house, and even healing. There are a lot of prayers being prayed in the name of faith. Lord, give me, give me, give me. My name's Jimmy. I'll take all you can give me. But in this instance, in this context, where God speaks about perfected faith and we're reminded of it, about it by James, look what it says in James chapter 2, verses 21. Was not Abram our father justified by works when he offered? Isaac. It had to do with an offering. Can someone say sometimes it takes more faith to give that thousand rand than it does to believe God for (laughs) something? When the Lord comes up and says, listen, I wanna give you a sacrificial, you wanna almost go away and say, okay, Lord, give me three scriptures, I'll meditate, confess it, build faith in my heart, and then I'll obey. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So the context of this complete faith is that Abraham, our father, was justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar. Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works, faith was made perfect? Say this, it's by my works or by my obedience that faith is perfected in me. So notice, perfected faith has to do with works. Now, Pastor Jenny, I believe, or does Pastor Greg or Pastor Paul, I can't remember who it was, spoke about the difference between faith and hope. That hope is in the future, faith is in the present. And one of the best analogies that I can personally try and convey to help you understand it is that I hope I'm going to retire one day. Pastor Johnny, can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Someone said, You don't retire, you refire. I said, That's good for you. I retire. So I'm trusting God to retire one day if the Lord will allow me to, okay? If the Lord will permit me to retire, I'd love to take long walks on the beach with my wife while I've still got my health. Should the Lord tarry? Can I get an amen, Pastor Simone? Pastor Greg, can I get an amen? There we go, he's got thumbs up. So I'm I'm hoping to retire one day, that's in the future. Faith demands that I start saving for my pension now. Because otherwise, if I don't do something about what I'm hoping for, guess what? I'm going to get there, and I'm going to have to hope a lot more. If that target was 70, and I didn't do something about what I hoped for, the same principle applies over here. That faith has to be together with works. And it's not a once-off occurrence. It's almost a lifestyle. And you were were taught in this faith series that one of the greatest faith actions is speaking the words that God instructs you to speak, is releasing the Word of God through your mouth. When was the last time you made a bold confession over your life that deals with consecration and giving more to God? When was the last time? Maybe it was this morning, maybe it was a week ago. So I decided what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna help you tonight to make a bold confession over your life based upon the Word of God, that doesn't speak about getting a new house, getting a new car, getting a new job, saving for pension, Pastor Simon, but deals with the context of what was going on in the life of Abraham. God said, give me your son. The test was, would Abram obey? And he heard God and he obeyed, Pastor Johnny. He went up there, he put Isaac on the altar He acted like God's word is true. I just thank God, and I'm sure so does he, that he was still listening to the Lord because God said, offer Isaac. Imagine if he got so mad with God about this offering he was gonna give. Bitterness was in his heart that when he held that dagger over Isaac, he didn't hear God say to Abraham, stay thy hand. Imagine if he got so offended by what God had given him, he didn't hear God, his heart became hard. But he didn't, he continued hearing God. So I want you to say this and make this bold confession with me, are you ready? Let's do this together. Say, my body is a temple for the Holy Spirit, redeemed, cleansed and sanctified by the blood of Jesus. My members, the parts of my body are instruments of righteousness. Yielded to God for his service and for his glory. The devil has no place in me, no power over me, no place in me, no power over me, no unsettled claims against me. All has been settled by the blood of Jesus, and by faith I overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of my testimony, and I love not my life unto the death, my body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for my body. Praise the Lord. Okay, so there we go. For the sake of time, yes, thank you, Jesus. So for the sake of time, and my notes are on the app if you want them, I've given you all my notes, so go ahead and you can download those over there. So we've taken a look at exceedingly growing faith that requires a... meal of love in order to be growing exceedingly. And I'll remind you again, the moment you step out of love, that's the moment your faith begins to shrivel as opposed to grow. The second one is perfected faith. And perfected faith demands that we do works. Our works perfect our faith. Abram grew in and arrived at this level of perfected faith. It's also interesting to know if you read the verse beyond that, that he was a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God. So Abraham's faith was made complete by his actions, his work of obedience in offering Isaac, and by giving glory to God with respect to the promise of God. Now we take a look at strong faith. Most of us would settle just for strong faith. Praise the Lord. Well, Abraham, the Bible says, grew strong in faith. How? How? By giving glory to God. Go with me to Romans chapter four and verse 20. This is what the Bible says. Nor did he doubt. So when we talk about strong faith, we talk about people that do not entertain doubt. Nor did he doubt God's promise out of a lack of faith. Instead, his faith became stronger. How? By giving glory to God. You see, this is how you know when you're operating in strong faith. When something contrary to what you're believing happens and almost wants to take you 10 steps back, you don't look at this and say, oh no, this is a setback. You say, praise God, He's testing my faith. I've received what I want. This is not gonna, you're not affected by circumstances at all. So the person who has strong faith is the person who, while believing for God, even though circumstances say everything to the contrary, doesn't cause you to question. It doesn't even cause you to skip a beat. In actual fact, whenever you have opposition to your faith, your hands raise towards heaven and you use it as an opportunity to give God glory. Why? That's what strong faith does. Strong faith says it doesn't matter what's happening around me. I don't care. I don't care. Hit me again, devil. Guess what? I'm gonna give God glory for all you've brought me through. We sang about it tonight, amen? So strong faith is a faith in the heart that doesn't take the knocks and gets, but gets up again and just raises your hands towards heaven and says, Father, I worship you and thank you. So remember, it says, Abraham's faith became stronger by giving glory to God. Strong faith, now let's take a look at great faith. Great faith. So we've taken a look, number one, at exceedingly growing faith, love. Perfected faith requires works to perfect it. And then strong faith is a faith that just continues to give glory to God regardless of what's happening around it. Now great faith. Great faith is only mentioned twice in the Bible. You know that? In the New Testament. And both times when Jesus attributes great faith to people, neither of them were Jews. Both of them were Gentiles. So the greatest faith that people had in the Bible were even not of the family that God had called to redeem, that Jesus was called to redeem. Instead, it was in the heart of a centurion and the heart of the Syrophoenician woman. But we're just gonna take a look at Matthew 8. And this is, and I'm not gonna belabor this point because Pastor Theo spoke quite extensively about this last Saturday morning, if you were in church, Matthew chapter eight. But the context of this Great faith over here. You see, great faith does not need any outward evidence. Great faith does not need any outward evidence. And whenever I read this portion of scripture, I skip back all the way to the Battle of Jericho for some reason in my mind, and maybe because it's personal. I think in pictures. You know what happened in order to defeat Jericho? What did God say? He says, listen, you have to march around the city walls. Once a day for seven days. On the seventh day, you've got to do it seven times, remember? Now, I know me. You see, if I were any of those guys and I was marching around that wall, I'd be constantly looking at the wall just to see a brick. I just want to see a brick lodge loose, you know? I just want to see some sort of progress. I just want to see maybe a crack appearing when you walk around, you know? And as you see the wall begin to crack, you stomp a bit more and you're just looking and hoping. Can you imagine doing that for seven days in the sweltering heat, you're not allowed to speak. You can't even talk. Thank God he didn't shut their minds off. But, but if that was me, on, on day three already, I would have said, Hey ay, ay, ay." There's not even a brick getting dislodged yet. Check the eyes and the parapets there. If one guy would just fall off the wall and see something happen, I'd feel a lot. God, can you just throw me a bone? just a bone, just one brick, you know, then I know what I'm doing is working. But oftentimes, faith is like potatoes. It happens under the ground. And so when we talk about these kinds of things, when you talk about this Roman centurion and we talk about great faith, great faith doesn't look for progress while it's believing. You know why it doesn't look for progress? because it believes it's already been done. <laughs> you see, as far as far, the right attitude walking around that wall would have been, doesn't matter, this is just consequential. This is after the fact, the wall's down, God's given us a city. So let's just go for a Sunday stroll, roll up your sleeves so you can get a bit of a tan and just walk around the wall because it's done and dusted. Great faith. So Matthew 8 says, now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, Lord, My servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. He didn't need anything else. Great faith, all it demands is God's spoken word. That's it. It's all that it needs. It doesn't need to be thrown a bone. It doesn't need to see any progress. It just has to hear God say yes. That's what great faith is all about. And you know, the funny thing is that Jesus marvels. If you read the story, Jesus is flabbergasted by this guy's faith. He looks at his disciples. He said, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. But if you read Matthew 8, it's got nothing to do with faith. It's got to do with submission. The Roman centurion doesn't even mention faith. Faith is only mentioned when Jesus attributes great faith to him. If I were Jesus, I would have perhaps said, I've not seen such great submission in all of Israel because that's what he was speaking about. He said, I say to this one, go and he goes, this one, come and he comes. Lord, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. So I echo what Pastor Fear said last Sunday morning and that is this, that faith and submission Go hand in hand. And to be great and to operate in great faith is going to require great submission. You cannot operate in great faith unless you are submitted greatly to those that the Lord has placed over your life. Faith cannot operate in a loveless environment, it certainly cannot operate in an environment of rebellion. And I'm not just talking about submission in church, I'm talking about submission in a family, I'm talking about submission socially. I was driving to the airport just the other day with Bishop Mumbo, he's our overseer in Zambia. Man with authority, carries a lot of weight, been in prison a few times because he's kind of a troublemaker politically, but he loves Jesus. (laughs) This was a long time ago, by the way. I don't want him to walk in and you say, hello, jailbird, no. (laughs) It was for good reason. So we're driving to the airport and, um, and he's a man of, of stature in Zambia, everyone knows him. We get up to the airport and there's a policeman that's guarding the, that's, that's checking. So we pull up to the gate and the guy comes to the door and Bishop starts freaking out. Can't you see I've got a VIP in here? You're wasting my time, I don't have time for booms. I've got to drop him off of the airport. And so anyway, we drive on and I say, Bishop, I said, um, you did not demonstrate the nature and character of Jesus. He says, what do you mean? I said, that man is in authority. And if you're submitted to authority, you would have given him the respect that he deserves. You don't have to like him, but you do have to like his office. And I began to teach on Matthew 8 from there all the way to the airport, which is about another 15 kilometers. Now I say the other day, but this happened five years ago. Do you know every single time we go to Zambia, whenever he speaks in front of people, he tells them about the story about how his faith was completely Um, completely paralyzed because of his lack lack of submission to authority and lack of humility. So great faith requires great submission, but great faith also doesn't need to see the walls moving, doesn't need to see the blade coming through the ground to know that the harvest is almost there, doesn't need to see any of that. It just needs the word, that's all it needs. Great faith just needs the word. Now, little faith Let's get to this one. And this messed me up as a young believer. Let me tell you, this account in Matthew chapter 14, you know where, Jesus, where Peter walks on the water? You know that, that, that account of Peter walking on the water? I mean, Peter walks on the water. Well, let's read it. Let's, let's let the Word do the work, okay? Before I read it, let me say this. Little faith is seen in a Christian who hears, believes, and acts on the Word, but then they take their eyes off the Word. Look at the natural circumstances, and as a result, begin to sink. And again, I know that the guys have spoken about this already, but I want to give maybe a bit of a different perspective on this portion of Scripture. So about the boat, in Matthew chapter 14, But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So the circumstances were against them. Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. And they were encountering a lot of resistance. What resistance are you encountering getting to the other side of the thing that God has promised you? What resistance are you encountering? And let me tell you, the devil is alive and well and kicking. And for every promise God gives you, he is going to try and get it and rob you from it, always. That's just his nature. He is a thief. He comes to steal. That includes the promises of God. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal it. Why? Because if you can steal your promise, you can steal your faith. And that's, what happened that's what's happening here. The wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it's I. It's I right in the middle of this resistance, right in the middle of the storm, right in the middle of this thing that, that was trying to, that was threatening to prevent them from getting to where Jesus had said they would get to. He said, let's go over the other side. But be of good cheer to don't be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. It's amazing. When Peter needed a, when he needed deliverance, when he needed faith, he asked Jesus for a word. It's amazing how many times we do things we don't even ask for a word. Because Peter knew this was not gonna happen unless he had a word. And so Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the word, on the water to go to Jesus. But you see, people with little faith have big buts. I know God can do it, but when? You know, I know God's done it for them, but will God do it for me? So people with little faith have got big butts, lots of buts. But, but when Peter saw that the wind was boisterous, love that word, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus, oh, it's so wonderful. You see, even when our faith is little, Jesus is there. Thank you. We serve a good God. You know, one of the least most important prayers that people pray is just simply, Jesus have mercy on me just have mercy, just give me what I don't deserve. And this is the mercy of God, even in the midst of little faith, rescuing Peter. And this is what Jesus said. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and he said to him, oh, you of little faith. Now, before I understood what I know now as a young Christian, and maybe you've done this before, I don't know how many times I've gone to my swimming pool after church, even after a faith conference, I'm talking Kenneth Copeland level stuff. And I stood there on the side of the pool, And I said, Father, Peter walked on the water and you said he had little faith. If this doesn't work for me, I don't know what hope there is. And I would stand there and I'd sing, to this day, I've not walked on water. But you know how despondent I was. I thought, listen, I can't even do this right. And Peter had little faith. But then I began to understand that the real Greek meaning for the word little means of short duration. You see, Peter believed God. That's why he walked on the water. But when the circumstances were contrary, guess what? He stopped believing. His faith was of short duration. Let me tell you, it takes a lot of faith to walk on water. But if you've got a lot of faith that doesn't carry out time, guess what you're left with? Wet clothes. The good news is that Jesus picked Peter up and they both got back into the boat. Jesus didn't carry him. Peter, your faith is so little. Here we go, no, no, no. He helped him and they both got back into the boat. So that's little, little faith. It's faith that is of short duration. I'm gonna wrap this up. I've gotta go a bit quicker. So what is the next one? Weak faith. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. I'm gonna be reading it from two translations because the second translation helps us understand who is the person that's got weak faith. Number one, Romans 14:1 in the New King James, it says, receive one who is weak in faith, but not, to the, but not to disputes over doubtful things. So that can be confusing. So I've included the message translation in your notes and it says this, welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions, but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. You see, a person with weak faith, friends, is a person that argues over little stuff. You know, their faith is weak. So what they do is they try and distract and they talk about, yes, but does the Bible really say this? Does it really say that? Does it really say this? And sometimes we get frustrated with people who just won't believe the word. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just believe the word. The Bible says, draw those people who like to argue because they're weak in faith, draw them close to you and model faith. So people with weak faith like to dispute over silly issues, but Christmas is around the 25th. Really, is Easter, was Jesus buried on a Friday, on a Tuesday, that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that's not important, but you know that you're dealing with someone whose faith is weak when they spend time in trivial arguments. And that's what Paul says over here in Romans. Now dead faith, ooh, this is a biggie. Number seven, James chapter two, seventeen says this, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. This is completely the opposite of exceedingly growing faith. Completely on the other side, this is dead faith. This is the faith that believes the promise of God, receives the promise of God, but does nothing with it. And this is found in the life of Abram. Remember, Abram believed God for 24 years. When God came to Abram and said, you will have a son, you'll be the father of many nations. For 24 years, Isaac, the son of promise wasn't born. God had to come and change Abram's name so he could put action to what he believed. He could start working now on something that he hoped for. And in changing his name, faith and action came together and Isaac was conceived three months later. What faith alone could not do for 24 years, faith and action did in three months. So the person whose faith is dead, they believe everything, but guess what? Their mountains never move because their mouth never moves. Your mouth must move before your mountain moves. And now the final one is the eighth level of faith. And this is shipwrecked faith. And this is a very, very important faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 19, he speaks about it. And he says here, cling to your faith in Christ. And I put this in bold and keep your conscience clear. Well, some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. My wife and I were last year were on the west coast of Cape, of Northern Cape. And one of the stretches of beaches have five shipwrecks along them. So we took the whole day, got in the chimney, and we went and looked at these five shipwrecks. The first one we came to was the Un- Un20 or something like that, something, Un20. It's this huge rusted structure. Half of it's buried in the sand, half out. But what amazing is, is that some of the wooden deck, and this, this ship sank in the late 1800s. Some of the wooden deck is still intact. When my wife and I looked at the shipwreck, do you know what we spoke about? Not how impressive the wreck was. We spoke about, imagine how majestic the ship must have looked when it was done. We thought back to what that ship could have been and could have done, but instead all that was left was a wreck. And this is what Timothy's warning us against. He's saying, if you have great faith, but your conscience isn't clear, all you'll ever talk about is what you used to accomplish with the faith you had. And you'll be like that ship that's not going anywhere that people will look and say what you could have been. You see, you can't be a strong Christian with a weak conscience. It's impossible to be a strong Christian, but yet have a weak conscience, which means that anything goes, that you're comfortable disobeying God. You're comfortable doing this, you're comfortable doing that. But when a pastor comes to preach on faith, you're front and center because you wanna believe God for something. You see how everything intertwines, folks. You see how love has a role to play, how submission has a role to play, with faith, how action has a role to play. I know you're thinking, geez, Pastor, this is complicated. (laughs) Is there baby faith over there that just gets everything done and you don't have to do anything yourself? (laughs) No, (laughs) no, there isn't that. It was given to you, by the way, it's called mustard seed faith. So you're saying, where does that leave me? So now we've plugged you into the diagnostic machine and every single person in this room and those of you online have discovered that you had one of these eight levels of faith. Which is it? Some of you might say, even the majority of you might say, listen, Pastor, i i in the second category of those four? Mine's either weak, failing, shipwrecked, crumbling on life support. Ooh. What do I do? So such God's got a solution for everything. Jesus, I love his word. I love his word. It's so full of wisdom and deliverance. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. Night and day, we sincerely and fervently pray. What? That we may see you face to face. Not online. just one in the the short rib, you know? That we may see you face to face. And I look at this, it says, and furnish. Now that word furnish in the Greek actually means to mend or repair what's broken. So this is what he says, that we may see you face to face and furnish, mend or repair what's been broken with whatever may be lacking in your faith. What this means, folks, is that in the absence of Paul in Thessalonica, there were certain issues of their faith that would never ever be able to be healed. But he says, when we see you, we will provide and do whatever we need to do to provide what is lacking in your faith. And when I was praying and asking the Lord, Lord, I'm gonna teach on these eight levels of faith, but how do I help those people who recognize and acknowledge their faith is either weak, dead or shipwrecked, how do I help them? And the Lord took me to this promise over here. And he said, Andre, you're here. Pastor Johnny's here, Pastor Greg's here. People who believe, people are full of faith. The pastors are here, not absent they here face to face. He says, call the people up and I will do a mighty work in each and every one of them. And that's what I'm trusting God to do tonight. So I don't know where you find yourself and I'm gonna ask the pastors to come to the front right now. But these men and women of God are anointed by God. I work with them and let me tell you, they walk by faith each and every single day of their lives. They walk by faith. What you have in front of you over here is men and women of God that have been anointed by God as priests in the house of the Lord to be able to lead and bring deliverance to folks. And so as they line up over here, I'm asking you there today, in your seat, you've already began to converse with God. You've already began to speak with the Lord. Perhaps you've said, you know, Lord, (laughs) that's where my faith level is at. I didn't realize it, but I'm the kind of guy that walks around Jericho waiting for a crack in the wall. I'm the kind of guy that sows a seed and, and just wants to see something sprout. I just wanna see that you're on the move. Perhaps you're the person who's got shipwrecked faith. And there was a time where you would trust God for everything and mountains would move, people would be healed, but that hasn't happened in a long time. And you wondered why. Tonight, the word of the Lord has clearly shown you perhaps your conscience is not as sensitive as it used to be. And perhaps you need to have a discussion with Jesus, regardless of what it is. We're opening up this platform, this altar for the next few moments for you to come forward. And this is gonna be your declaration of faith. As you move forward, you're gonna say, Father, tonight as I go forward and hands are laid upon me, and as these pastors agree with me, just like you said, Paul, when he met those people, face to face would provide and strengthen and heal what was lacking in their faith. Tonight, I believe that's gonna take place in this meeting in the name of Jesus. And I declare that my mouth will move before my mountain will move. Place a guard before it. Your prayer will be something like that. But this is between you and Jesus. These pastors, these men and women of God are just a contact point. So right now I'm gonna hand over to the worship team and they're gonna lead us in praise. They're gonna lead us in worship. Have a moment with Jesus and come to the front. Let them lay hands upon you and trust that God's gonna do something because I believe he will in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. How many of you can sense the presence of the in this place? The presence of Jesus is here. Father, we worship you. We thank you for blessing us tonight. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your word. Just brings such clarity, understanding. Father, we adore you, we worship you tonight. Thank you for touching these people. Lord, thank you for healing so many tonight. Healing their faith first and foremost. For many folks here tonight, that ship that was wrecked is being salvaged. It's being brought up just like the Titanic. It's being retrofitted, fitted out again. It will sail again, it will have the same majesty that it had before. In the precious and wonderful name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you. Now, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, you can take your seats, folks, if you want to get comfortable while every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Nobody looking around at this point in time. I know we've got visitors here tonight and I would hate to close the service without giving you an opportunity to meet this Jesus that we speak about and worship so much. He is the Savior of the world. He was sent by God, He's God's Son, to die on a cross to pay the price for our sin. Why? because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one blameless, not one. So God sent His Son to die on the cross and pay the price for your sins so that by receiving Him, by receiving Jesus and making Him the Lord of your life, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from this kingdom of darkness and ultimately saved from this world into heaven. So if you are here tonight and you're not absolutely certain that it is well with your soul and that your heart is right with God, I wanna give you the opportunity of making Jesus your Lord and Saviour. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna ask you to come to the front. I'm not gonna go out to where you are. And for those of you watching online, you can do exactly this, the, the same thing. All I want you to do is at the count of three, I want you to raise your hand in the air and say, Pastor Andre, I need Jesus. Pray with me, I need Jesus. If that's you at the count of three, raise your hands. One, two, three. Right now, raise your hand high in the air. God bless you. God bless you. I see those hands. God bless you. Please keep that hand raised. Please keep that hand raised. Nobody's looking around. God bless you. I see that hand over there. I see that hand. I see your hand, young man. God bless you. God bless you. Right now, I'm just gonna ask if, if a leader of the church won't just come and place their hand on the shoulders of those who had their hands raised. They simply come to agree with you in prayer. Maybe you're watching online and you've raised your hand and you say, I need Jesus. You're gonna pray this prayer with me. Now for the benefit of those people who've raised their hands, I'm gonna ask everyone please to pray this prayer after me. Everyone, let's pray this prayer together. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, say, Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight in the name of Jesus. Lord, I acknowledge that I am a sinner, that I've messed up, that I've not lived according to your standard. But tonight I've heard that Jesus, your Son, paid the price for my sin. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me, paid the price for my sin, and raised to life again so that I can be forgiven. Tonight I receive your forgiveness. I forgive myself. I forgive everyone that's hurt me and harmed me. I release them now. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and save my life. I promise to love you and to serve you until the day I meet you face to face. Now while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, And I'm gonna hand over to the venue hosts right now. But while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm gonna ask you to take this next step of faith in your walk with Jesus. We've got some literature that we'd like to give you, and we'd also like to tell you what your next steps are as a Christian. Christians are people who follow Jesus, who follow Christ, so won't you please right now at the count of three, go with those folks, stand to your feet. We're gonna give you a warm Christian Family Church congratulations and God bless you as you go. Let's congratulate them, so many people. giving their hearts to Jesus tonight. Isn't that wonderful hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Fulmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God.